The uh, Virginia delegate to the Continental Congress, Richard Lee, introduced a motion for independence on June 7, 1776. A raucous debate followed. And on July 2nd of that year, the proposed motion passed. And in response, John Adams wrote, July 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Some at the time, of course, thought that July 2nd, not July 4th, when the final vote for independence occurred, is the day that independence should be celebrated. But we all know how that ended up, hence yesterday. Without a doubt, freedom is central and is a central tenet of our country. Our citizens have used freedom to accomplish amazing things, used freedom for the benefit of all of humankind, used freedom for extraordinary selfless purposes, and used freedom as God would have us use this gift. But we all know the opposite is painfully, devastatingly, and horrifyingly true as well. Freedom. What an amazing blessing. What an astonishing responsibility. What a costly and colossal gift. Now we need to remember that at its core, freedom is not an American thing. It is a God-given thing. And ultimately, we have freedom only because God has given us freedom as human beings. Now scripture has much to say to us about the whole topic of freedom. And so today I'd like to get into freedom from a scriptural perspective, but from other perspectives as well. And at the end of my comments this morning, I would like to leave us with a question I believe we are each compelled to answer moment to moment, day to day, year to year. A question I believe God asks each of us to be intentional about answering. So now let's get into the whole subject of freedom. Well, it's important to point out that the the topic of freedom is found right at the beginning of the Bible, as we just heard in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, of course, we hear and find the story of Adam and Eve. There is little doubt that we are given this story by God to convey the truth that freedom is something that God gives us. Freedom is God-given. It's an amazing gift. But sadly, as human beings, we misuse freedom all the time. Yes, we use it for good, but we also twist and contort freedom for purposes that are not in alignment with God. Now, while I cannot speak for you, I know this is certainly the case in my own life. The story of Adam and Eve tells us that God gives us freedom of choice, that at any moment we can choose to do anything. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve, as we know, used their freedom to do the one thing that God asked them not to do, the result of which was heartache and hurt and consequences they did not anticipate. Now, why God gives us freedom of choice and will has been debated since human beings showed up on earth. And while there are many valid perspectives, I have come to believe that God has given us freedom for one central purpose and one central purpose only and that is to love. Scripture tells us that God is love, that the nature of God is love. Jesus said the purpose of everything is love, but we all know that love is a very tricky thing. It cannot be forced. For love to be authentic and meaningful, a person has to come to love on their own. We cannot force someone to love us. 
God chooses not to force us to love God. For if God forced us to love God, it would not be love at all. If God made us love God, we'd all be a bunch of robots. And robots don't love. But freedom and freedom of choice is oh so costly, isn't it? Freedom leads to great love and joy and wonderful things. But freedom creates the space for human beings to inflict the most horrific horrors on others. Now, if you think about it in one sense, the Bible as a whole is a story about how we as people use and misuse our freedom. From beginning to the end, freedom in essence is found in every single story in the Bible. For example, in the story of Exodus, God frees people from slavery in Egypt. And while at times they are grateful, their response to freedom included griping, complaining, acting out, and dismissing God. And then story after story in the Old Testament describes how king after king in both Israel and Judah had freedom to do as they chose. Some kings used their freedom wisely. Many kings, however, used their freedom in ways that countered God the results of which were disastrous. And while there are many other examples of the misuse of freedom, clearly there are amazing stories of people using their freedom for great good. Remember Ruth, she chose to stay with her mother-in-law through a time of great distress, even though she could have made an easier decision. King Solomon often used his freedom to lead his country with great wisdom. A woman named Rahab used her freedom to help the Israelites succeed in an essential battle. Deborah used her freedom to, comp to compel the people of Israel to act, which led to a long period of peace. And then, the New and then in the New Testament, the disciples used their freedom to follow Jesus. The same was the case for Mary Magdalene and two sisters named Mary and Martha. A leper used his freedom to thank Jesus for healing him. Luke used his freedom to write down the story of Jesus and of the early Christian church. John the Baptist used his freedom to prepare people for Jesus' coming. Conversely and sadly, however, in the New Testament, when Jesus was around, a lot of religious people and leaders used their freedom to castigate Jesus. It led others of the same ilk to crucify Jesus because they, could, because they used their freedom to seek absolute control and not yield to the demands that love requires. For sure, Scripture has much to say to us about freedom. Paul one day wrote in a letter to the people of Galatia, It is absolutely clear God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. He also wrote in a letter to the people of Corinth, Just because something is technically legal does not mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Said another way, just because we're free to do something does not mean... It is beneficial. Then one day, Jesus said, use your freedom to live in a selfless way. Deny yourself and follow me. He also said, use your freedom to love God and love others by what you do. Everyone will know you follow me if you love one another. And whatever you do to the thirsty, hungry, homeless, sick, and in prison, you're doing to me. In other words, at his core, Jesus asks us to use our freedom for the sake of other people. Well, aside from what we find in Scripture about freedom, and there's so much more than I have shared, there are countless people over the centuries who have written so much about freedom. 
More recently, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs writes that freedom is a journey and freedom requires responsibility. In other words, humankind needs to learn what freedom entails. Rabbi Sachs suggests that people need to be taught about freedom. He notes that freedom is a massive and weighty responsibility and that if people are not taught about such responsibility, freedom will be misused. Similarly, John Dewey, the American philosopher and scholar, in slightly adapted excerpts, wrote this. He wrote, freedom demands responsibility, and responsibility is a liability. We are free to act, but we must stand the consequences of how we use our freedom. When exercising our freedom, we must take into account the impact of how we use our freedom on the community itself. And another person writes, Perhaps some have taken for granted that to be in a free country means we can say or do whatever, whenever, to whomever we want. But, but perhaps we need to be informed and reminded that freedom is coupled with responsibility. Freedom must never be isolated from responsibility and become a misguided excuse for despicable behavior and speech and action. When we use freedom, we must always take the other into account. Well, aside from all this, and aside from the need to take others into account when using freedom, I believe that our ultimate responsibility when it comes to the use of our freedom is to God. One person writes, we are prone to think of our lives, and we're prone to think that our lives entail a matter of opinion, choice, personal decision, when in fact the question is one of personal responsibility to God. Every day should be lived in the light of our responsibility to God. Every act, decision, thought, and motive should come under this concept. This does not mean that our lives become easier. It may become much harder, for the loving will of God for us often includes difficulties. But being obedient to God's will and recognizing our basic and ultimate responsibility transforms us and enables us to act and react with God as our companion and helper. Well, if indeed this is all the case, and since God is love, our freedom should never be separated from love itself. Our choices, our actions, our thoughts need to be in deference to love always, because God is love. When Jesus says to come, when Jesus says to us, come and follow me, He's inviting us to use our freedom to follow him and make our lives about love. And when we use our freedom in non-loving ways, we are misusing our freedom. And frankly, the standard of love for the use of freedom supersedes any law, any right, anything written by human hands, I believe. For God is love and God is greater than any human construct. This is something those that crucified Jesus did not understand. Now, 1865 was an important year. That was the year a Frenchman came up with the idea for a monument in the United States. And 10 years later, a person was commissioned to complete a sculpture to commemorate the centennial of American independence. The statue was named Liberty Enlightening the World. France and the United States jointly brought what we know as the Statue of Liberty to fruition. Well, as the story goes, as many of you know, a large pedestal was needed upon which to place the statue. 
and to raise money for the effort to build the pedestal. A woman named Emma Lazarus wrote a poem called The New Colossus. The poem was engraved on a plaque and placed on the pedestal. And today that plaque is now in a place of honor on exhibit on Liberty Island. Here are the words of her poem, which I will dissect in a moment. She writes, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient land your storied pomp, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Some context, some of which you may know. Nearly 300 years before Jesus was born, there was a massive year-long battle on the island of Rhodes in Greece. The population of Rhodes was able to defend the island against a superior power. In response, the people built something called the Colossus of Rhodes, a giant statue in honor of the sun god Helios. As a side note, the statue eventually collapsed in an earthquake. But anyway, some people and historians have referred to the statue as the Old Colossus. When Emma Lazarus wrote the New Colossus to celebrate the Statue of Liberty, she named her poem to contrast the Old Colossus statue in Rhodes with the new statue in New York Harbor. That is why her poem starts by saying, in essence, the new statue, the new Colossus, the Statue of Liberty is not like the old brazen statue representing conquering power and might. The new statue does not represent being pompous, she writes, or self-serving, as she suggests in her poem. Rather, the new statue is to represent our country as the mother of exiles, the mother who welcomes huddled masses yearning to be free, the mother who embraces the poor, the homeless, and the tempest-tossed. The Statue of Liberty is one of the greatest symbols of the liberty and freedom we celebrate this weekend. But the statue and the words of Emma Lazarus compel each of us to remember that at its core, freedom is about serving the other person, caring for the other, welcoming the other, and ultimately loving the other. The words of her poem, the statue itself as I think about it, are symbols of what Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 22, 25, and 28. It's there that Jesus reminds us that love is all that matters. It is there that Jesus reminds us that how we treat other human beings is how we are treating Jesus himself. 
It is there that Jesus reminds us that we are to go out and make disciples who know how to love like God loves. Finally today, many of you know the writer Viktor Frankl who endured so much in the German camps of World War II. One day he wrote, instead of asking what we can expect of life, we should ask what life can expect of us. A pretty profound statement if you think about it. But on this Liberty Weekend, I believe we are invited to, by God to ask another very important question. A question I believe, as people of faith, we are compelled to answer moment to moment, day to day, year to year. It's a question I believe God asks each of us to be intentional about. That question. Perhaps instead of asking what we can expect from freedom, perhaps instead of asking what we can get from freedom, perhaps we should be asking what freedom can expect from each one of us. Freedom is a colossal gift and responsibility. How are we going to respond to it? What is our freedom ultimately about to be used for? Is it about me and my rights? Or is it really about the other person? Is it really all about what I want and deserve? Or is it all about love itself? And so I invite you to join me in the hours ahead to sit and pray and spend time with God in prayer asking God how we really should respond to the freedom that God has given us. And let us pray.